I just met Kyle Tuesday, <laughs> and so we bonded deeply. No, we did. We, we really had a delightful time. And um, this morning, I got a text at 7 o'clock. Uh, it was probably late last night that um, he asked me if I would speak because he has COVID. So here I am. We're, we're, we're doing this thing. He, um, I, my, my wife and I pastored, uh, has, we've been pastors for over 45 uh, years in various contexts, planted a few churches around the United States. Um, and we've, as I said, we've been married 46 years. Uh, we have six adult children um, and eight wonderful grandchildren spread out all over the United States and a few are here in Des Moines. Um, so thank you for being gracious to um, acquiesce and not just get up and leave uh, because Kyle's not here. Um, would you pray with me as we begin? And we are going to continue some of the things that uh, Kyle had started in, in the Gospel of John. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are thankful that your promise to us is your presence. It was the promise to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. It was the promise that David understood when he wrote, where can I go to escape your presence? It is the promise that you stated to your followers and those of us who believed after them, that you will always be with us, even to the end of the age. Where two or three are gathered in your name, you'll be here. So we thank you for your love that desires to hang out with us. And we ask that we would be keenly aware of that today as we're together. That we can take a rest from the week that we have just come out of. And a rest from the thoughts of the week that lies ahead of us. And to be simply present to your presence. We thank you for all of this in Christ's holy and powerful name. Amen. Let's uh, look at John, the Gospel of John, where you guys have been apparently just started. Is that true? You guys are going to have to help me out. He, he was very limited in his instructions this morning. And we... You left off at 1 John 14. So we're going to look at 1 John uh, 15 through 18. And in the last few years, I've really appreciated the language of the Passion Translation. And so I'm going to be reading it from that translation. This is after, this happened, the, these verses happened after we had this beautiful description of, of the celestial um, powers of, of Jesus. 
that he was the word and he came and became flesh and lived among us. The God of all universe decided to be with us again in flesh. And so John announced the truth and we were talking about John the Baptist. John announced the truth about him when he taught the people, he's the one. He's the one I've been telling you would come after me, even though he ranks far above me because he exists before I was even born. And from the overflow of his fullness, meaning Christ's fullness, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Moses gave us the law, which allowed us to know where we have gone astray, where we have entered into the disorder and chaos of the plan of the universe that we've all fallen under. So Moses gave us that law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son who was cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full expression of who God truly is. Jesus embodied the fullness of God. He revealed who God was. We have a whole history of, of, of the Old Testament of trying to figure out this creator God and the order that he has placed in the universe and how we fit in it and how we live in it. And John is writing about, the, about John the Baptist and saying that Jesus revealed who God was. I love overlaying my understanding of the Old Testament with the life of Christ in the Gospels. And it, for me, it has, it has been a, a, a transformation of understanding because if it somehow doesn't fit in my understanding of who Jesus is, maybe I need to relook at it a little bit. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the, and the image of Jesus, I don't want to say that word anymore. I was going to say Trump, but I don't want to say over overshadows what we understand about the Old Testament and the God that we see in the Old Testament. That he is full of grace. He is full of mercy. Jesus the Anointed One unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. And the over the overflow from his fullness, we receive grace heaped upon more grace. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey describes a conference of comparative religions where experts from around the world were debating which belief, if any, was unique to the Christian faith. 
my friend C.S. Lewis walked in to the, to the room. I'm, he is my friend. Do you have friends like that? <laughs> you know, they're gone, but he, I have been deeply formed by my friend uh, and, and his writings. So my friend C.S. Lewis happened to enter into the room during the discussion, and when he was told the topic was Christian's unique contribution among the world's religion, Without hesitation, Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. He was right. No other religion places grace in its theological center. It was a revolutionary idea. Grace seems to go against every instinct of humanity. We are naturally drawn to covenants and laws and justice and karma to, to, to the cause of an effect, to earning what we've received, pay for our dues, judgment. And yet grace is different. It is the unmerited favor of God, unconditional love given to the undeserving. It's a difficult concept to understand because it's not entirely rational. It doesn't make sense. Bono, the lead singer of, of the music group U2, grace defies reason and logic, he says. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of our action. Grace is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm not coming to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. But I have come to bring it life and that more fully to be experienced how this creator God intended humankind to experience it. Paul wrote about this in Romans 8 to the early church in Rome. And in verses 20 through 21 and into chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans 5 and 6. And there's, I think there's somebody who was writing it had a brain bubble there and needed to do another chapter. But they flow together so well. So God's laws was given, God's law, which we read that Moses gave us the law so that all people could see how sinful they were. In other words, where we have missed the mark and noticed the disorder and the chaos, not only in our life, but those that we've contributed to in others and others to us. In other words, to make sense what was right and wrong. We needed those boundaries. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Not judgment, but grace, more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? 
Paul had an understanding and knew that God's grace would always outpace his wrongness. If he sinned more, if he did things wrong more, God's grace would be there ahead of him. You, you can't outsin God. You can't outpace his grace. Let me just give you a brief insight how that's worked in my life. I was not raised in a faith background at all. I was, I, I, I was born in the early 50s. Uh, I grew up a very privileged white middle class male. Uh, I was hedonistic. Uh, my, my family of origin um, were pagans at best, and um, we were really good pagans. And when the 60s came along, it was just a perfect place for me to fit in with the um, Woodstock generation counterculture of the time. I had a desire for spirituality because that's what everybody was hoping for, but I had no clue what that was like. I was drafted during the Vietnam War, ended up in the military, and somewhere along the line, I met Jesus in a very dramatic way. I didn't go to church. I, I, I didn't read the Bible and, and, and find out about it. I, I had a conversion experience, much like Paul. One day I was, and the next day I wasn't. I had this incredible amount of grace in my life. I, was, I surrendered to the real love of God that was revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said to his disciples, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, which was in heaven. Grace is revealed through Jesus. And I, I, was, I was saturated with this incredible love that I'd never experienced before in my life, which totally, radically, and dramatically changed me and changed the trajectory of my life. And I am serious. I was one day this, and the next day I, I was that. And I started to figure out how to live this life with Jesus. And I went to Bible studies. I, end, I went to different churches. I went to a Bible college. And I started pastoring, you know, jumping in and doing youth stuff. Met my wife, and we started planting churches. We did mission stuff. Uh, and somewhere, in, the 40, in my 40s, I was reading in Galatians. And the letter to Galatians stated, you foolish Galatians, you started in this grace journey, but you've adapted legalistic measures. You're living out your faith under the law. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that that's exactly what I did. I tried to fit in to a Christian culture and a church culture that demanded rules and regulations to be followed, to standards and stipulations 
that made me wonder what a Christian was and what a Christian wasn't, just simply by the way they think, by the way they act, by what they believe. And I lost the sense of the love of God. I've lost the sense of his grace on my life. And what I found, I was living my life out of that law. I judged myself. And the harder I attempted to make amends and appease and to show God how much I loved him by how much I sacrificed, how much I, 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 I served, how much I gave, I missed it. Paul, again, wrote to the Romans a little later on in chapter 8 this. He says, can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot sin anymore to make God love you any less than he does right now. And you cannot do enough good things to make him love you any more than he does you now, than he does now. Paul answered that question in 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 uh, Romans five. He said, "Should I go on sinning? Of course not. I shouldn't go on sinning. But I live my life out of a different perspective. It's no longer trying to earn God's favor. It's no longer trying to live out to prove God how much I love him because it doesn't matter. What matters is how much he loves you. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says this, that, that he prayed that their eyes of their understanding would be open. What, to their sin? To their awfulness? To their wickedness? To how much they miss it? They don't do enough? They should have, could have, would have. No. He says, I want you to be able to understand and comprehend the length, the depth, the width, the breadth, the full dimension of the love of God. The love that God has for you. That changes you. It changed me 47 years ago. It changes us. 
when we know how deeply loved we are by God. Undeserved grace and mercy. It is my hope for my wife and I, particularly in our later years, that we do live our lives out in response to the love of God that has been revealed to us in Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. I loved your, your generosity thing because we, we are generous because he is generous. We are kind because he is kind to us. We are forgiving because he has, been, he has forgiven us. We are compassionate because he's compassionate to us. I wonder what it would be like for us to give our lives to know the love of God. To look at the disorder and chaos in our life and allow the love of God to touch us deeply. To look at the order and di the disorder and chaos in our world around us and wonder what it would be like for the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God to touch that. All of the Gospels, and particularly John, point to God's compassionate solution to the mess we're in. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, kindness upon kindness, love upon love, because there is no law greater than love. Would you pray with me? What would be your response to this grace? What would be your response to this love? How will you allow it to shape your world? Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful to re be reminded of your many kindnesses today. Come Holy Spirit and allow it to brood over us. Just as your spirit brood over the oceans at creation, brood over us the love of God. That's, that's deep within us because of the Holy Spirit. We invite that experience this week into our lives, into our chaos, into our disorder. Come Holy Spirit and make what's wrong right. Again, we ask this in Christ's holy and powerful name, amen.